on ABC Radio. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi. Ahoy there, welcome aboard. It's The Big Fish. And first cast this morning is with Joe Starling. Joe and Steve Starling share their fishing adventures in a slide-on camper. Chasing snapper, trout, brim, King George whiting, calamari squid and living off the sea. Now Stinker has some unwanted mates in his boat Stinkpot who came to stay during the school holidays and we're off to Evans Head as well to the Living Museum there with an amazing fisherwoman Lillian Collis who went to sea when she was just 13. She's organising a big event coming up at Evans Head for the crews and families of the prawn fleet that plied those productive waters. It's all coming up on The Big Fish. It's the big fish, and if you want a great fishing adventure, you can go to the Northern Territory or the top of Cape York or up into the Kimberley, but you can also go south right down to the wilds of Tasmania, and if you've ever wanted to do that, we're going to give you a few tips and uh, a little bit of a taste of what it's like to do a bit of car touring and fishing in Tasmania. Steve and Joe Starling have been into that. Uh, Joe, good morning. Hey, good morning. I'm actually on the road right now, so if you've got a little bit of wind buffering, I, I apologise. Joe, tell us about your home for the last few weeks since uh, early January. Uh, well, I, uh, I I don't know how many of the listeners are into Facebook Marketplace, but I'm a little bit of a um, of a whiz at it. I sell stuff and I buy stuff, and then um, recently I came across a Mazda BT50 Ute. A 2009 model, I think it is, but it's a beauty, and uh, with a, a slide-on camper, you know, one that's got the legs and everything. It's got a um, bigger-than-queen-size double bed in it and a little kitchenette. Anyway, we um, we picked that up out of Mansfield in Victoria probably in September last year, and we've been um, sort of doing little trips around the place and seeing uh, what it's like, and, um, and then this has been our epic big trial. So we've We've been down in Tassie now since the um, 12th of January and living entirely in our slide-on um, and doing really well. We, we um, got ourselves a Starlink and um, have set it up to see if we can actually work from the road, you know, with Steve making his YouTube videos and um, filming and we're um, editing and it's been amazing. I think uh, one... Oh, yes. This morning, just as we left St Helens, um, uh believe the ads were placed in the latest episode that's just gone live on, on the channel. So that's the second one since we've been away. So we're making this work. It's great fun. No, we live in great times to, to use that technology to talk about a great working holiday. What are the advantages over this slide-on with the legs on the back of the the ute compared to pulling a conventional caravan. I mean, can you also add a boat? That's what we've got. So we're we're about a twelve meter um, length vehicle at the moment, uh, and we're I think we're two point seven meters high, um, at fully loaded. So um, yeah, we're cruising along, holding up all the traffic <laughs> in Tassie. Uh, we get we travel at about ninety k an hour. 
And uh, the beautiful thing is that when we pull up, it, it takes a little bit of muscle power and um, time. So if we're only staying somewhere for two nights, say we'll we'll leave the, we call it the turtle, because it's our shell that we live <laughs> in, um, we leave that on the truck. Um, but if we're staying for a little longer, then we'll bust the legs out and, and crank her up and pull the truck out from underneath and reattach the boat, and that gives us complete freedom. Sounds like you're on a really great winner there when it comes to touring and, and fishing. And what about the fishing? You mentioned St Helens. I know last time you were down there, you really enjoyed the um, the King George Whiting fishery that's just uh, going gangbusters down there. Um, many of the climate uh, skeptics in Tasmania are saying, well, I don't mind this climate t- change. Hey, look, someone has to benefit from it, right? <laughs> it's just, um, it's amazing. You, we're actually heading back to Montague right now. That's the, the road that we're, or the track that we're on right now. We're heading across the top from St Helens to the other side of the island driving into a gale right now and um, and that gale's sort of been going for over a week. It's been plaguing the last um, week of our travels but um, you wouldn't credit this. I'm actually talking to you from what I'm calling my Android imposter phone. My real phone um, is at the bottom of the Loon River which is well down south. Um, we, we stayed at Southport for a little while and we launched into the Loon River and went for a fish with a, a local mate down there. And we were catching snapper in the estuary on the Loon River. And if, if people want to get their, um, their Google Maps out or their Google Earth and have a look, that is so far south. That's, uh, you're looking out the bay at Bruni Island. So are the locals saying this has always been the case? or you know, no. Because Red, Red Map no. started in Tasmania, that great citizen science project. Uh, Professor yes. Natalie Molchanevsky, who now works for New South Wales DPI Fishery, I think, tracking sharks. But, yes. Um, yes. you know, Natalie yes. and her colleagues started that up, a, a group of marine biologists, and um, just to get people to have a look at where fish were turning up because it was basically because of snapper turning up in Tasmania that they started that. and. This is, uh, you know, this is all about warmer water and, and fish migrating. Yes, absolutely. And, yeah, I was, um, we were a little bit surprised, I must admit, even though when they said, oh, yeah, they, they, you can get some um, good snapper down here in the river room. <laughs> like, seriously? So we went down and had a crack at it, and, and sure enough, um, we did. We also pulled some lovely brim, and um, I caught my first arrow squid, Boy, oh boy, are they aggressive buggers. That, hey, when I went to get the um, squid gear off him, he tried to bite me. <laughs> 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 I was a little bit blown away. But um, loads of calamari. I've just been absolutely scoffing myself silly with calamari because I, I really do love it fresh out of the ocean. There's and a lot of good habitat for calamari squid down there. It's just everywhere you look, the, the coastline is so folded and protected that they, they do like that, don't they? Absolutely, and outside of um, of uh, Southport too, we, went, we had a lovely day down there. So we went for a bit of a cruise around the spectacular um, coastline. And whilst we didn't catch any fish, or uh, tell a lie, Steve caught um, blue throat brass upon blue throat brass upon blue throat brass. Um, but the bull kelp um, is just so healthy down there, and everything. It's it's um, you know quite heartening to see 
some of our habitats doing really, really well. Yeah, that, but, uh, um, those kelp kelp forests are a, a wonder, aren't they? In oh, fact, you, you mentioned the aggressive arrow squid trying to grab you and bite you. Uh, my yes. 16-year-old son, my daughter lives uh, just uh, just north of Hobart, and uh, they went snorkeling. Uh, down on this secluded uh, spot. And there are plenty of secluded spots in Tasmania. You don't have to go sure. too far to find one. And they went yeah. down to this lovely rock pool in a cave and they waded through and they went down a cliff. And he's walking through this crystal clear rock pool and a big Pacific octopus was hunting crabs in the shallows and it's got startled and it's lashed out with its giant tentacle and grabbed him around the leg. Oh, my goodness, I bet you he jumped sky high. <laughs> I think the people in Sydney heard the scream. It, it was, I think, just startled, and it took off over the top of the, the rocks and then swam with uh, big blossoms of ink out to sea. But uh, he, oh, goodness. His, big sister, his big sister, who's a marine biologist, thought it was absolutely hilarious. And, uh, oh, she would have been waiting herself. Oh, absolutely, and and uh, he reckons she's trying to kill him, but it was uh, so like something out of Jules Verne and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. It was such a funny funny story when they related the story when they got back, and he still had a couple of sucker marks on his legs, so you never know what's going to happen in Tasmania. No, well, that, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. No, we, um, we got blown off the water um, at Little Swan Court and then, um, and then moved further up to St Helens where we've we've been um, camped in there for a while. We went up to um, Anson's Bay and uh, we, we caught the odd broom up there, but it wasn't like the last time we were there. It was the conditions were a bit different. I mean, it, it was still blowing um, a, a mind-blowing gale, but uh, we got out and had a good uh, crack at some... Well, we tried to find the whiting there, which uh, apparently there's whiting in Anson's Bay. There are King George. We didn't find those. I've got some brim. But that, so that part of the trip was a little on the disappointing side, and I will tell people um, it would have the road to Anson's Bay at the moment would rattle the fillings out of your head. So maybe give it, a, give it a break until you hear that the council's fixed the road. All right. We're speaking <laughs> with Joe Starling, who's on the road in Tasmania um, chasing the amazing... Fish there, so you, you did well on the snapper though down way down in the Loon River, which is is great. Yeah, tell us about that fishery. Well, that fishery is is a very very interesting one. Uh, we we actually went there chasing good brim, um, and uh, we just didn't find them. But we pulled up at this really unexpected spot where the friend that we were fishing with, um, Dave Cole, he'd. Um, Caught snapper in this particular spot before, and it wasn't particularly deep. It was a, a the corner of a little bay, and um, he said just for some reason, whenever they pulled up there, they've managed to pull snapper out of there. So we said, oh well, we'll give it a crack. And he was he and Steve, I think, were putting a running sinker, and I thought, oh well, I'll I'll pop a paternoster down, and um, and uh, yeah, pulled a really good brim, I think, to start with, and then um, and then the snapper came on, and I think we would have got four or five um, snapper in that session. And um, I guess we shouldn't be that surprised if you look at Tasmania; it's on a similar latitude to the South Island of New Zealand, where there are plenty of snapper too. It's just that um, you know they're turning up in big numbers, and you're way down the bottom of Tasmania. Too. And, and maybe it's something to do with the great efforts they're doing in Victoria 
to preserve the stocks as well, Joe. What they've done in Port Phillip Bay and, and Travis Dowling and the crew in, in Victorian Fisheries who've done such a, a wonderful job in looking after the snapper. Perhaps there are so many there that they're, they're making the journey across Bass Strait like you did. Entirely possible, and perhaps we should do some genetic studies and see whether or not they are actually of the same stocks, or or are they um, a separate lot? You know, do, do they come um, west from NZ, or um, or are they, you know, finding their way around from the other side of Tassie? Um, because you know they've they've been. Um, found on the east coast for a little while up there haven't they so who knows where they're coming from but it'd be a good um it'd be a good genetic study yeah i wonder sure. how many people have sort of explored the wild west coast of tassie to, uh, to see yeah, how many look, snapper sure there, there but what we will tell you is um the flavor of the snapper was quite extraordinary and, and quite different steve was um steve's eaten a fair bit of fish in his life and he was blown away by the uh, just the, the cleanliness and the, the different flavour, it was almost like eating um, pearl perch, I suppose, or something along those lines. You know, one of those really top quality tablefish. Maybe that. something to do with the very cool, clean uh, water down that that's way. That's what we were thinking. Yeah. yeah, that's what we were thinking. Yeah, very, very interesting. It's a great um, holiday you're having because you've really got some good variety, you know, battling snapper on heavy gear and then fishing very light in the Tyana River. I believe, Joe Starling, you had a crack at a, a fly fishing tournament and uh, one of the best in the world took you under his wing. Well, he, he did. It's one of those wonderful things, Scott, when you're um, fishing in the fly tournaments in particular, um, especially as a newcomer to the tournament, it's a very, very steep and sharp learning curve. So I'm blessed to be in the position where, as the um, you know least experienced in the team or in the team in the tournament, um, everyone has got so much to teach me. It's just amazing. And this last um, tournament, two days on the on the Tyana, the first day I was fishing with a fantastic bloke I met um, at the at the Great Lakes tie-in a couple of years ago, a fellow by the name of Shane Broadby, and his flies are just beautiful. He's a, he's a real craftsman. Um, but I've never fished with him before. So I had um, a wonderful day on the river with him, although it was quite seriously the most strenuous fishing I've ever done in my life with the hiking in and out of um, in great big mansion sort of um, gullies and all of that sort of thing that, uh, I've never had to do off the back of a very strenuous wading river as well. I was literally exhausted. And on the second day, I was blessed to draw John Hardy, who is the reigning national champion. He was um, crowned, I suppose, in November on in Tassie as well when we had the national championships down here. So, yeah, I was in, I was in some pretty elite company. And I was always told that John was a lovely fella, um, he's, he's actually a Yorkshireman. I think he might be one of the few, if not the only person in the world to hold a national championship in two completely different countries. He was a national champion in England at one stage as well. But anyway, he lives over here now. And um, so I was a bit cheeky and said, hey, um, John, I'm coming ranked last and no threat to anyone. Um, I've been told you're a nice fella. 
and that you like teaching, so I'm just letting you know it's okay. Bands playing everything to me. <laughs> oh, wow. And you, you were uh, Euro-nymphing that beautiful river. It's a very difficult wading river. It's got a big head of trout. Um, Euro-nymphing is, is really a very interesting tactic for catching fish right at your feet, basically. You're only fishing mm. off the rod tip most of the time, aren't you? Yes. Yes, you, you don't have fly line out um, when you're really good at it. I... I still tend to, but um, John has made me promise that I'm going to um, not do that any longer and I'm actually going to extend my my leader up so that I can't. Um, but, yes, it's uh, it's just the very, very light leader and then you tip it out the tip and you it's almost... Um, I guess like an oval cast in that you... Um, you get the, the flies, which are heavily weighted, downstream from you and caught in the current, and then you flick with the rod to get it bit further upstream and drop it in and just then lead with the rod tip again and just let those tick along the bottom. And the amount of trout that you pull out that you would ordinarily have walked past is just extraordinary. But it isn't a, it isn't, um, a beautiful... Um, style of fishing you know most people think of fly fishing as that beautiful rhythmic um dance almost like uh, rhythm gymnastics you know and the, where they use the ribbons and all yeah, that yeah. and it's um it's got the flow and and it's all nostalgic it's not remotely like that your only thing is uh, is a business strategy of the fly world and you're, you're just there to purely um catch fish and it pulls them out in um in better numbers for sure but it's not something that you would necessarily go and do on your, uh, uh, you know, to while the time away if you wanted the relaxing day on the river. You'd certainly choose dry fly or something like that. Oh, you've got to just concentrate so hard to detect the take. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing getting the drifting right, but the, the other thing is actually detecting the takes and uh, watching those coloured sections of monofilament. So virtually the, the good ones don't have any fly line out of the tip at all. It's quite controversial because some people... Say well, that's not really fly fishing, but you're still using little nymphs. So um, I guess well, um, still, horses for courses. Yeah, and you still are having to. Uh, well, I guess the the definition of fly fishing is where the line is the um, is the weight, isn't it? And I guess with um, euro nymphing, you're using the weight of the nymph, but you, you can't cast it so much as. You lob it. You've got to use the tension of the water to almost slingshot the the um, flies forward again. So it, it really does take some time to to get the technique right. Yeah, it's a, um, an amazing technique, though, and I, I think it's very complementary to fly fishing because you'll often, if if you carried two rods, you could catch fish on the dry fly and and uh, in the slower water on conventional indicator nymphing, and then. You fish this fast water that's like a, a raging torrent. You're almost fishing a waterfall, and you can yeah. pull so many fish out of there. It, it really opens your your eyes to where the the trout hide. Um, it's it's a really good technique, but uh, something that yeah, uh, horses for courses. I guess some waters really don't um, you know don't work with it at all. No, that's no. right. And but a lot of people are now starting to opt because with with your uranium, you'll have more often than not you'll have more than one um, nymph on, um, up to three, 
And um, what you're finding these days is as they shallow up, you can leave the, the, the higher um, droppers still on or you take the bottom one off and leave the, the extra tippet still trailing in the water. And um, the top dropper that's going to be in the water, they'll put a dry fly on. Um, and um, and still, so they're still fishing the two, so in shallower water, they'll still fish it with a dry fly at the top. Yeah, that's there's... been something that's been starting to happen. Uh, um, be seen more and more and winning tournaments with that. Too. Wow, so, there's just so much yeah. to fly fishing. It's so great, but you've had such a wonderful fishing experience. I'm worried that the beautiful South Coast is going to le- lose you and Steve. You guys seem to be spending more and more time in uh, terrific Tasmania. Well, look, we did buy a block of land here, um, uh, but it was only ever to be to escape when the really hot summers hit and we wanted to get down, um, get away from the heat, get away from the crowds and, and go for a fish ourselves somewhere a little bit more cool. Um, so, but we've, we've decided now that we've got the slide on that we don't need to be anchored to a particular plot of land. So we've put that back on the market and we're... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we're just enjoying traveling yeah. around and checking oh. out free camping scene. But it's great um, stuff, Joe. I, I think you know a lot of people listening to this would say that's really doable. You know, anyone could do that if you love fishing and you love this beautiful country, and, and you really want to uh, explore what um, our inshore and estuaries and rivers have to offer and lakes have to offer. Um, you could do this any, anywhere, really. It sounds sounds like a terrific way to get around, and it sounds like you've had a really good time and, and tangled with a few nice fish. We have. It's, it's been extraordinary. It's still going on. We've got another um, 10 days up our sleeves here, so um, looking forward to a little bit more, hopefully some good whiting, some more calamari, and, you know, if the weather gods are kind, maybe even something a bit bigger. <laughs> good luck with that. It sounds like you've had great variety too, It's it's which I love as well. I'm, you know, some people just love fly fishing and do nothing else, but I, what I like about you and Steve is you'll, give everything a go and, and really enjoy it. So tight lines, uh, happy touring in Tassie, and uh, hopefully the slip-on doesn't slip off. <laughs> I hope so too, mate. <laughs> make sure to, Make sure to bolt it on tightly in that wind. Indeed. <laughs> See you later, Joe. Bye, mate. Uh, Joe Starling there with uh, her, her wonderful partner, Steve, who's very well known as well in fishing circles, taking on Tassie with their, uh, their new camper trailer. The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. I fished everywhere, man. I fished everywhere, man. Up beaches, boats and piers, man. I'm in up to my ears, man. With hand lines, rods or spears, man. I fished everywhere. I caught pinkies, kingies, dragon whiting, black brim, blackfish when they're biting. Flathead, flounder, pike and hake. Blue pointers, tiger sharks, that's flake. Red fin, yellow belly, murray cod, tarpon. Brown trout, rainbows, even had a carbon. Yeah, but what kind of bait? Fresh prawns, pippies, crabs and kanji, beach worms, sandworms, sperma, spongy, white bait, froggies, nippers, yabbies, ockies, squidgies, potties, crabbies, filchards, mussels, cabbage, weed on, all the stuff fish love to feed on. I'll try any bait, mate, to get fish on a plate, mate. I fish it early, light, mate, and sometimes through the night, mate. I catch and then release, mate. Yes, I fished everywhere. Yeah, but name is a couple of spots, mate. Cape York, Cooktown, Coleroy, Naruma, Mossman, Maryborough, Western Port and Cooma, Noosa, Bribe, Coolan, 
Catacoolum, Harvey by Barham by Bowen and Maroolan, Brisbane, Gisborne, Bundaberg and Bunbury, Portland, Shark by Boyham in a quandary. Darwin down to Perth, mate, on a boat where there's a berth, mate, on a four-wheel in the outback, I'm set to hit the road, Jack, on a rock ledge when the tide's slack, yes, I've fished everywhere. Crikey, anywhere else? Tweed to Servers, Ballant at a Bundy Gove to Darwin, the Reefs, Whit Sunday, Gosford, Tarry, Wyndham, Warragamba, Burrenjuk, Tulibuck, Laurenton, Yamba, Fangston, Brighton, Air Tasmania, Esperance, Albany, guess I got a mania. I fished everywhere, man. I fished everywhere, man. Beaches, boats and piers, man. I'm in up to my ears, man. Whether handline rods or spears, man. Yes, I fished everywhere. Fished here, there, everywhere. I fished everywhere. Gotta see your licence, mate. <laughs> Coming up, an amazing fisherwoman from Evans Head. You'll love her stories from the sea in the commercial fishing fleet and a big event coming up to remember those who sadly didn't come back. Also, Stinker is on the way. I thought of Stinker walking around the lake after all the tourists went home. The water was absolutely vacant, apart from one old fella out with a big floppy hat and a bend in his rod pulling in a lovely flathead. The tourists have gone and the locals have those waters to themselves again. So what is Stinker up to? We'll find out after the news on The Big Fish. The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. Stinker with his fishing tips Some hot advice For your fishing trip Where to find him What's the bait Are you catching any mate Good morning Stinker G'day Scott I thought of you yesterday I was at Canton Beach On the shores of beautiful Tugra Lakes And I was walking through the the uh, Forest of Paperbarks there and the Pandanus Palms and uh, all the, the reserves and grassy picnic areas were empty where there used to be thousands of picnic rugs and umbrellas and cabanas. And then I looked out on the lake and there was a huge expanse of water with no boats, just one old fella with a big floppy hat catching flathead in a channel. And I thought of Stinker. <laughs> you know, it's back to normal. You've got the place to yourself again. Yes, well, that's tourism. That's That's what... You know, holidays and tourism and people having a good time and going on holidays and leaving the cities and the and the bush when they've had sometimes a rough a rough year. And there'd be nothing better than to pack all your kids in a caravan in a truck and stick everything you've surfboards and push bikes and everything <laughs> else, um, kayaks <laughs> and what else. And then off you go. Uh, and really, I think that would be awesome. And I would love to have been someone who'd come to Port Stephens or Fingal Bay for a holiday. I reckon it'd be great. I mean, I'm on one big holiday, Scott. Right? <laughs> but it's a, from sublime to ridiculous, isn't it? One minute you can't move on, on the beach at Fingal Bay, and it's lovely, the white sand, the crystal blue water and thousands of people, the caravan park chockers. And this is a story that repeats itself up and down the coast at river mouths and all those great headlands and beaches and, and, and holiday spots. And now the locals, there's no one within Cooey. Well, I must admit, we do breathe a sigh of relief when, when things return to, to normal um, or as close to normal as possible. And that's basically February. 
you know, from February until the next school holidays, um, we've got it to ourselves. And really, um, I know I'm speaking for probably all those areas you just mentioned and many, many more that are there little coastal hamlets that are overrun at holiday time. But do you know what? I think that's great. I really do. I Some people say, oh, there's too many people around there. You say, listen, mate, if you're going to live in a tourist town, you're going to rely on tourists. That's what happens. If you're going to live beside an airport, there's going to be a bit of noise. You can't <laughs> complain about the noise and you can't complain about the tourists. That just makes no sense at all. If you don't like it, go and live somewhere where there's no noise and no tourists. I don't quite know where that is, but <laughs> it must be somewhere, you know. But no, look, I I really encourage it. And I love to see kids involved run around with a fishing rod in a bucket. A fishing rod in a bucket with, you know, I mean, good on you. Get out and enjoy uh, the great outdoors rather than play with those confounded machines that, uh, you know, games and all that sort of stuff. But no, so I've had a, and I'm a bit of a kid, really. I'm a big kid. Getting a bit old to be a kid. But um, I enjoy all the things that kids enjoy. And I love, as you say, to be sitting out in a boat or, and I enjoy my own company. That's something else that I uh, I do enjoy. Well, and then when I go fishing out in my stink pot, and stink pot, after six weeks I've been away, I come back and look at stink pot. It's become a high rise for spiders. <laughs> you might get bitten by a redback when you're out at sea, stinker. That could be a terrible way to go. <laughs> I tell you what, word travels fast in the spider world because. I was only gone a couple of days, and they reckon the spiders had already moved in. So they must have heard me talking about holidays and said, he'll be gone for six weeks, you know, let's get in here and have a good time. And so I've come back, and there they are, they're they're in their number. Uh, And my truck, the truck, they've they've decided the truck would be a good place too. So anyway, I've had to chase them all out, and I'll uh, start all over again early in the coming week. And um, I know there's fish around. Interestingly enough, Scott, I've heard reports. I've only been home for a couple of days, but interestingly enough, I've heard reports of, of uh, a heap of ludric inside the port. And I'm thinking, well, that's that's a bit odd. I mean, they're really a winter fish. They, they, they catch them all the way through winter. Well, this is um, sort of summer, and they're catching them down there like you won't believe. And they're beautiful, big, well-conditioned fish. And I can't remember um, reporting so many ludric at this time of the year. It's early, isn't it, Stinker? What are they catching them on? Oh, it's the same as always, just a you know, bit of weed or some um, you know, sea lettuce, cabbage. Uh, yeah, there's nothing secretive about that. But I, I can't believe it. I was talking to a, a skin diver who was uh, swimming in the in the, the, an aquatic park here in Port Stephens in Nelson Bay. He said the park, the aquatic park, is just full of them. They've, they've arrived from somewhere uh, and, and they've just taken over the joint. And they're cracker fish, really cracker fish. But there's also uh, flathead. The flathead have been great, really good. Whiting on the beaches has been a bumper season for whiting on the beaches. Snapper never give up. There's snapper around here all year round. You can catch snapper. Uh, and I'm going to, I'll be stuck right into it um, next week. So when I speak to you next week, uh, I'll be telling you all about the beautiful snapper that I've, that I've caught because I'm raring to go. Gee, I'm raring to go. 
you might be able to use redback spiders for bait stinker. Well, if I, you know, <laughs> I'm not real keen on catching them, I don't know. But I'll tell you what I would like at some stage to use for bait to catch um, snapper, and that's crabs. Now, um, I wonder if anyone listening has ever used crabs, rock crabs, there's a red crab or a grey crab or a black crab, um, and then hook them through a 6-0 hook with no lead at all and toss them out into that country. Now, there's a big chance you'll hook a groper because groper love crabs as well. But a lot of snapper that I've caught recently over the last six months have been feasting on crabs. So I thought if that's the case, why not um, send them down one and see what they think about it? Worth a try, Stinker. I reckon I might give it a shot. It's amazing. I think I might have told you, but it would have been a long time ago um, that I told you, that uh, during the Second World War, there were Americans based here, and there were two ships, two um, American um, warships based here in Port Stephens. And all the Americans would sit in, in the ship in the canteen area, have their feed, and throw their lamb chops, bones, out the window into the into the uh, port. Well, a mate of mine, Georgie Todd, who lived at the next bay around called um, Dutchies Bay, he was catching these um, snapper, and they had lamb chops in them. <laughs> he just opened them up and he goes, "How on earth would you catch a snapper that's been feasting on a cooked lamb chop?" <laughs> and so what he did, he followed it back. He followed the path, the track back. And there he found out that the Americans were tossing them out the window of the of the ship. So there's a bit more to the story in that he went and bought some lamb chops. He said, oh, I have a crack at this because he used he catch big snapper, big, big snapper in those in those years, the nineteen forties. I'm talking uh, fifteen uh, kilo snapper. Um, and that's not found, that's fifteen kilo snapper inside the harbour. And so, and he wished to catch them on fillets of salmon and fillets of ludric. That's what he catch them on in a 12-0 hook and an 80-pound line. But anyway, when he said that he saw these lamb chops, he said, oh, I have a go at this. Anyway, he started using them. He caught nothing, absolutely nothing. <laughs> and but they reckon that he went back and the Americans told him that it had to be cooked. That the snapper wouldn't eat it raw. They want it cooked. I don't know quite know what happened after that. <laughs> that that's the ultimate surf and turf, Stinker. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Imagine sitting out there with an 80-pound line, a 12-hole hook and a lamb chop. Oh, that's an incredible story. Hey, just before you go, have you got any books on the go? I do. I do. Uh, over the last 18 months, I've been uh, tinkering with a book. Well, actually, the last two years, I've been tinkering with a book about a road um, called Marsh Road that people used to live on, and they were farmers. And at high tide, they were really battling to keep the water from running over the road into the uh, into the farmland. Um, so this went on for years and years, and the soil was incredibly rich. But the mud crabs were causing all sorts of trouble because they dug underneath the marsh road, and the road would collapse. So mud crabs were a real problem. So that's one book that I, I've... Um, all I need to now is to get that together. I've written it. But the other one is... Uh, I don't know what I mentioned to you, but it's called... It's um, Matilda, the Magnificent Flying Mullet. 
Uh, how's that going, Stinker? That, that sounds like a lot of fun. And, and the great thing is you get the best artists and wonderful illustrators to help you out uh, from the local area, don't you? Well, Banjo's sold out, unfortunately. I think I've got just a few copies left. So if anyone's thinking about uh, Banjo, you better get in real quick because I've just been around the stores who had the Banjo um, in their shop and they've all sold out. So Banjo was a hit. And that's great. Oh, I love it that, that people enjoy the books that I write. That's Banjo the Adventurous Brim. Hey, tight line that's stinker. Can't wait to uh, catch up with you next week to see how you go when you've got uh, the, the water to yourself again and you can actually get on the beach. That's the other reason, of course, that you, you uh, can't go out because you're not allowed to beach launch uh, while the tourists are all on their towels and, and uh, in the sun. Well, that's it. The kids are back at school. The tourists have gone home. The boat ramp's open, and I'm fired up. So next week, I'll have a couple of big snapper stories to tell you. <laughs> tight lines, mate. Catch you then. Hooray, tight. The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. Lillian Collis from Evans Head. Welcome to The Big Fish. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you for inviting me. Lillian, there are wonderful things happening at Evans Head. Uh, the museum is going gangbusters. You're there at the moment. Tell us about the Fisher Folks reunion. Okay. Well, in 2017, the Evans Head Living Museum sponsored the very first Fisherman's Reunion. We had 150 fishermen here, which was hilarious. You couldn't get into the museum for prawns. <laughs> That's with talk. And um, we had it over the weekend and they just had the best time because these guys hadn't, a lot of them were retired and they hadn't seen each other for many, many years. And a lot of them started fishing here when they were young. Evans Head was the birth of the schooling prawns. We had 75, 76 trawlers in the river in those days. And now we're looking for one or two, which is very sad. So we had we started with a really lot of fishermen. So anyway, we had the weekend, and when we had the opening, um, we had a representative here from Sydney Fish Markets, and after the weekend, they donated us ten thousand dollars towards the, towards the monument. So then COVID hit, and we didn't have a chance to do anything anymore for a few years. And then last year, things got a lot better, and everything started to open again. So I rang Sydney Fish Markets and asked them would um, that $10,000 still be available because the guys are all looking for another reunion. And he said, oh, just give me a day and I'll get back to you. So next day he rang me and he said, yes, we've been through the minutes and that money is still available for you. And I have to say the following day that money went into the museum bank account, which was pretty astounding. So then I started... Um, looking or thinking about what we're going to have for a monument. And I've come up with a fisherman, but not a North Sea fisherman. This is a local fisherman. Shirt, shorts, sand shoes, raggedy hat, <laughs> um, behind a ship's wheel. And, um, yeah, and, and it looks absolutely fantastic. It's not up yet, but um, it's on its way. So and I, I don't want it to be up too soon anyway because I want it to be a surprise for the community. All right, so the, the, the cloth will come off in front of the, the big gathering on the 24th and 25th. The fish On the 24th at 11 o'clock on Saturday, the 24th of February. That's when we're having the opening. 
Is it also to remember those who didn't come back from sea, Lily? Yes. Well, on Sunday we're going to have um, we're having the minister there over at the fishermen's co-op, and um, we're going to have a blessing of the fleet on Sunday lunchtime. Uh, we're having all fresh seafood at the co-op, and um, and we're having a blessing of the fleet, and it will be in remembrance of the past fishermen as well as future fishermen. And also, also Scott, it's in remembrance of the local communities in these little villages because without them, you know, it was fishing was very difficult. But in the early days, we used to, um, none of the trawlers had, had um, cookers on board. So everybody was, everything was kept under ice and water. And then they'd be put into big cane baskets and they'd have to be lifted up onto the wharf. And the community was so good. They would come down and help and then everything would have to be wheeled into the co-op and they'd have four big cookers and everything would be cooked in the co-op. Just the best thing in the world to eat. Well, school prawns are. They are so much better eating than the big tough king prawns or the banana prawns or, or any of the other prawns really, aren't well, they? Well, you and I are thinking exactly the same thing. Some people will probably say not, but in my opinion, I don't think there's anything better than the school prawns. Rugged people, Lillian. Do they get up to a few hijinks in the local watering holes? Very strict. Oh, yes. Yeah, well, we had two clubs and we also had the hotel in those days. But um, in those early heady days, the boats were going out and catching 6,000 pounds each a prawn a day. So that's 2,700 kilos a day each boat was bringing in in the good times. You can imagine the, 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 um, how vibrant the little town was of about four or 500 people. And I believe there was a fellow who wanted to get fit by rowing who inadvertently discovered this incredible um, fishery. Yeah, well, he, he, was a, he became a world sculler champion. And we've had four world champion scholars here around Evans Head in the early days. The last one was in 1947. So it's Evans Head for a little tiny village. We have such amazing history, and I know you want to talk about the fishing industry, but oh, we will in a minute. But what did that sculler do? What was the what was the story, and whether whether it's an apocryphal well, he story or not? Practice up and down the river, but he was also a fisherman. His father was a fisherman. His father was the first man, white man in this town, and he came from New Zealand. He came over looking for gold, and then he went fishing. So. That's in the 1800s, that was. And, and he put a net out behind his, his yeah, rowing boat? Yeah, he put a net boat. out behind the trawler. Yeah, that's what he did. He found some in the river. But they'd also found them, they were fish trawling out the front of the, off the beach and they found, they found school prawns out there too. That was the main thing, they found school prawns. Now, I, I believe your, your husband, who sadly passed away a couple of years ago, was, was part of a flotilla of trawlers that circumnavigated the country to discover discover prawn fisheries. And what did Norm and the, and the gang in their trawlers do? I mean, they, they took off on this voyage of discovery, did they? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Searching for more prawns, searching for prawns. So did they discover the banana prawn fishery up there, which, of course, out of Corumba now is a, a multi, um, multi-million dollar fishery? Yeah, it's a multi-multi. Well, when we were fishing up in the Gulf, there was 400 trawlers fishing the Gulf in those days. And now I think there's probably maybe 50 or around 50, 55, something like that now. I never forget I never forget an incident when I was a radio announcer in Mount Isa and I used to do a bit of DJing at this big club and they 
put out an announcement for a lost purse. And a, a young woman who'd been working at Carumba had come down to the Isa after the season and was letting her hair down and having a bit of a party. I mean, you deserve it after months at sea. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got a big yeah. payday. And she lost what purse. The purse had $20,000 in it. Holy smokes. And someone handed it in and she got her money back. So that was uh, wow. really interesting. So it, it was... Uh, wild West and still is in a lot of ways up, up there, isn't it? It's a, a wild yes, place. Well, I um I was up there in June because Carumba had the 150th centenary, and um I have we have uh, my husband and just passed away, and they have a wall of remembrance for the fishermen. So we have already lost two sons and a grandson. So I had the plaque done for Norm, and we had a ceremony of ringing the bell. And it's just a big wall for all the past fishermen, and it's just amazing. But they just had... I can't believe how beautiful Corumba looked from the, the days when I was up there. They've, you've never seen a, a piece of paper anywhere. They did um, they did a ceremony for... Um, everybody bought pavers, and they put the pavers in the ground, and they had the opening of the pavers, and... Um, and it was so strange, Scott. I got up there and this man came up to me and said, Mrs. Collis, and I said, yes. He said, look, the mayor's over here that we're having an opening and he wants to speak to you. And I thought, what does he want to speak to me for? But it was nothing to do with me. It was Norm's history in Corumba. He was the first one with a trawler in there that put the very first wharf in. And he did a lot of stuff for Corumba. So that's what they wanted to talk about. So that we had, the, in a couple of days later, we had this big opening of the um, pavers and um, the mayor walked in and he looked at me and he'd come over and touched me on the shoulder and he said, you're first up to speak. <laughs> oh, but it wasn't hard because it was all about Norman. It was nothing at all to do with me and I know his history. So Did you go good. out to see much, Lillian, with, with Yeah, Norm? I've been at sea since I was 13. So yeah, I've spent a lot of time at sea. I taught we I taught my our our daughter who is now forty five, um, schooling until she was seven years of age at sea. And they're doing that a lot in the Gulf now. Uh, you know, they were after, you know. What so, I mean the things you've seen are amazing. I mean, I know up there and, and off the coast when the, the nets are coming up. You can have a flotilla of sharks, big ones too, oh, uh, following, massive. can't you? You'd, you'd, and if you'd have slipped in, you'd be cactus, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. We had a, a sawfish one day that we caught in the net. And how Norm, oh, Norm had to cut the net to get it out. But it was right at the top of the where you pulled the net up and the tail was still hanging in the water. And this was a 100-foot trawler. I mean, it wasn't a little trawler. You know, massive. You, massive you see, sometimes see the, the sores uh, from those. They're very rare now, but you'll see them behind the the old uh, uh, bar at the pubs up around North Queensland and the Gulf. Um, they're incredible, incredible fish. I mean, we have one here that I, the kids just love to see when they come into the museum. It's probably at least five foot long. It could even be a little bit longer. It's very big. Big conservation efforts to to uh, uh, look after those these days, and when you're at sea for the, for that length of time, particularly back in the fifties and that, you, you must really have to be good sailors. Now everything's uh, done for you. You've got the GPS trackers and, and the mapping oh, on the yeah. you know. But in those yeah. days, it would have all been charts and logs and compasses yep. and and uh, yeah, protractors. Well, we only had a compass. That's all we had. It was, um, and then they brought in um, wet paper sounders, which are 
absolutely amazing. They were the most amazing things. And the first, um, the first um, um, satellite navigators came in, and they were really, really good. But the problem was, you'd get a satellite go over, and you'd get a fix. But then you wouldn't get another satellite for three hours or something, Scott. So you could be anywhere in three hours. That was the problem with them. They were great, but but they were sort of before their time. Now satellites are going over every second, so they're really, really wonderful. Yeah, that G- GPS is days, amazing. You, you just had to keep your eyes open too, didn't you? These you days, really you really did. I mean, 400 trawlers fishing around, you know. I mean, the Gulf is big, but if you found a, a, a big patch of prawns, you were on your own, you found a patch of prawns, you would within two days there'd be 60 boats there. Wow. It was, it was amazing, you know, word of mouth. <laughs> Pretty amazing thing. Uh, and you're telling everybody, shush, let's have a few days before we let anybody know. <laughs> uh, they know Norm, Norm and Lillian are on the prawns again. Oh, they probably yeah. just followed you, that's all. They've got the binoculars out. And oh, we had a few kids that followed us because, <laughs> because one of our sons was driving a boat too and he had half a dozen mates, so... Every morning we'd stop, you know, because you were catching um, um, tiger prawns, so you worked in the in the nights. And every morning you hear this bang on the back of the deck, and that'd be the kids would be tied up behind us, and they'd come straight through, go up into the wheelhouse, and you wouldn't see them again because they all they talked about was where we're going to go tonight and what we're going to do. And we had one little fellow that was a friend of our son's, and he'd he'd be tying up behind us every night. And I'd make a cake every every day for the crew because they'd be hungry through the night, you know. And every morning he'd come in, he'd get the big knife, cut it in half, run out the back, throw it up to the cook, and then go straight up into the wheelhouse. <laughs> oh, look, they, they deserve it. And he that. might be listening to this because he's a good ABC listener too, and he's done lots of things, and I hope he's having a good laugh. Oh, boy. I hope you better cook some cakes for the 24th and 25th I at Evans Heads Museum. To, don't worry. <laughs> I did it last time. Lillian, I'll do them in my sleep. Lillian Collis, it's, it's magical to talk to you, and there'll be many, many more yarns and, and true tales and, and not so true told well, uh, coming up. Well, I think long-tailed is the word, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> On the 24th and the 25th at beautiful Evans Head at the, the Living Museum there with all the, the fisher folk coming back from the prawn trawling fleet. Um, Very exciting. Thanks for spending a bit of time with us and good luck with the unveiling of the monument too, the memorial. Thank you so much, Scott. I much appreciate you. No, it's great to talk to you, Lillian Collis. Thanks for joining us on The Big Fish. Thank you so much. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listener.